0: Welcome to another exciting episode of the Aleph Zero podcast. Today we'll be exploring the dynamic world of Web3 adoption in Latin America. Joining us will be Max Torres, a longtime advisor to Aleph Zero, and Christian Narvaez, the founder of Rio Capital, which accelerates funds and supports founders in Web3. Let's dive in. Hey guys, great to have you here. If you could give us just a short intros, that would be great. And we can start with you, Max, since I know you for quite a long time.
1: Sure. So, um, I actually grew up in Menlo Park, California for the first eight years. Professionally, I worked at several tech companies, just doing fp for them. After a while, I decided that I wanted to figure out what, you know, what I was passionate about. So I decided to quit my job. I sold everything I had, I packed the bag, and then I bought a one-way flight to Europe, actually started traveling the world. The plan was just to travel for one year, try to figure stuff out. I ended up traveling through Europe, went to Morocco, did a little bit of Turkey, and then I ended up in Lebanon. And so in Lebanon, um, I quickly came to realize that things politically and economically were pretty bad. I experienced firsthand how banks were actually limiting the amount of money that people could pull out of their own accounts. And later on, those same accounts were actually completely frozen. And so imagine having your life savings just stuck in this fake account and you being told all these different things. So that was one thing. On the other hand, I remember um, just all these like crazy type of taxes that were being, um, being done on people. And a lot of that stuff didn't make sense. So what I wanted to do is, you know, to work on a technology that could really, really change people's lives. And I came across the, the whole entire concept of uh, DAOs, a decentralized autonomous organization where um, you, know, you could fundamentally uh, run an org by, um, by people voting on it. And so, uh, but the issue with Ethereum at the time was just the uh, fees were really hefty. And so I decided that I wanted to find a project that was working on something similar to Ethereum, but just a lot faster. I left Lebanon. I started exploring Europe again to find folks that were in crypto, and I ended up in Poland and met the LM Zero folks. And so shortly thereafter, I joined as finance director, and I was very fortunate to be able to meet folks within Switzerland and such. Fast forward a little bit. I then went on to ZeroX. At ZeroX, I was there for about two years working on Series A and, and Series B, which were some of the key highlights. And then after that, I became uh, an angel investor as well as an advisor to, to multiple startups that were focused on building out infrastructure, more, more uh, infrastructure in the blockchain space. And so as of more, more recently, I am very interested to see use cases and that's where my interest in Latin America came from. Uh, I'm also Mexican by descent. So um, uh, one thing that resonates very deeply is the whole idea of remittances how my mom and my dad would always send money to the family so right now at this point definitely interested in the area of use cases and that's something that i've been exploring deeply within within laptop.
0: yeah and, and traveling as, as you just said all right and christian what what brought you to the web3 and blockchain in general
2: well first and foremost thank you for having me on today appreciate the invitation and and then how did it all get started wow well first and foremost I was born and raised here in new york city i spent 10 years on wall street as a former energy investment banker covering both the united states and Latin clients and it was back in 2017 when sort of my group of circle of friends they were traders bankers hedge fund analysts private equity associates and everyone just started talking about buying Bitcoin and buying Ethereum and how it was pumping. So that's how I got started. I actually bought the local top in 2017. Obviously mm-hmm. back then it was something that I wasn't too fond on speaking of, but if, looking back at it, it's the tax that I paid, I guess, to to learn uh, the right way to uh, learn about the tech and the wrong way to learn about it. And obviously speculating on it
0: and <laughs> um, yeah.
2: buying because Almost not one of them. So that's how I started. But then again, after being 10 years on Wall Street in 2020, I decided to just move on to other areas and I wanted to travel the world for a whole year, just like Max. And in February of 2020, I left. But then obviously the pandemic came. And for me, the mm-hmm. pandemic was actually a blessing in disguise because I was able to have a lot of free time and study and do a lot of research on things that, you know, interest me. So I started looking into fintech, I started looking into venture capital and organically came across Web3 blockchain, specifically the Ethereum ecosystem and studied the technology, the infrastructure and its many use cases. And one of the first ones that came to sort of that clicked for me, which was easy, was the remittance space. My mom immigrated from Ecuador back in the 80s to New York and sort of grew up sending money back to Latin America. So it's something that it's normal to us, right? Sending money back and forth and seeing how this technology could, you know, make this use case, you know, more efficient, more cost effective, to me was a big eye opener. And that was the first time or, or that's how I started going down the rabbit hole and that's when it clicked and I've been in Web3 ever since. I joined a couple of angel syndicates and started uh, investing and covering the fintech and Web3 space. And then in 2022, joined uh, OP Crypto, which is a a venture capital firm investing in early stage Web3 companies. Um, They bridged the gap between US and Adam. David is a former Huobi executive who launched OP Crypto back in twenty one, And it was there where I was able to you know, double down on and learn more about the DeFi space. I covered both U.S. and Latin America regions. Um, And at OP Crypto, I was part of their Fund of Funds team and helped them raise their Fund of Funds vehicle We deployed across four funds. So it was definitely a great experience. And then after OP Crypto earlier this year, in February of 2023, I went off on my own and launched Rider Capital and there, our goal is to accelerate fund and support founders uh, globally in Web3 with an emphasis in Latin America, Latin America being the region that I've been covering for now, almost 14, 15 years uh, as a working
0: professional. Okay. Yeah. And you, Max, I uh, last time I checked, you were in Puerto Rico, right? <laughs> yeah. So ever since I started the road travels back in 2018, I've been a little
1: bit of everywhere. But over the last few years, I've been in Mexico, Colombia, and now I'm based of Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah, so you guys have quite a good, uh, I imagine, understanding of the market and, you know, the, the insights from the really inside the country. So how would you say is the current awareness and, and understanding of, you know, Web3, those concepts in, in Latin America? So the awareness
1: in uh, Latin America at this point is pretty good. Just to give a bit of stats, uh, based on the 2022 new payments index for MasterCard, About 51% of consumers have done at least one crypto-related activity in the past year. 77% of Latin American and Caribbean consumers agree they would use cryptocurrency more if they understood it better. And 82% would like to have cryptocurrency-related futures available from their financial institution. So what this is um, saying is that there is definitely a lot of awareness in, in Latin American countries. However, with recent news, there is the negative connotation that has come from recent scams, such as FDX and NFT rug pulls. So what I would say is within Latin America, there is a thing where if you say certain trigger words, folks will remember those things, such as the scams and uh, the NFT rug pulls. However, due to actual need, such as, you know, high inflation, within a few of these Latin American countries, there is a strong desire to look at alternatives to have more financial inclusion. Uh, And I think Christian actually uh, works very closely with a lot of different projects out there. So I'd be happy to hear a little bit more.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, Chris, tell us, you know, how's the progress going from the tech standpoint, from the teams building in, in those regions? Yeah, I guess from a historical
2: point of view, I mean, the early adopters of cryptocurrencies in general were, I mean, easy countries would be Venezuela and Argentina. Obviously, they've had a lot of political instability, currency fluctuation. And for them, seeking an alternative as a store of value was that, right? Cryptocurrencies. So they've been early adopters. Beyond that, I would say the four countries that have had a tech, in general, a tech sort of boom or adoption have been Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, and Brazil. And organically, because of that sort of tech boom, that tech is getting implemented and startups are being built across those four countries, I would say are the, the four major countries of most activity. But organically, we're seeing a lot of activity in Central America, in Peru, in Ecuador, in Chile, in Uruguay, but I would say the four countries of high activity and concentration would be Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, and Brazil.
0: And uh, what are some, you know, the most standing out use cases there?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of everything that has to do with payments. A lot of companies have popped up, whether it's, you know, on-ramp, off-ramps, the remittance space sort of lending on chain due to the fact that there's a large informal economy. We're seeing products and solutions being built, bringing that informal economy onto technology platforms. And blockchain is definitely one of those. So I would say anything within the value of exchange, we're seeing solutions and companies being built around that.
0: Regarding crypto, you, you Max, actually, you touched uh, this subject that you know, uh, even post those NFT scams and FTX, the sentiment is probably still in Latin American populations, still positive towards crypto. But, you know, what's the, you know, from your perspective living there, especially in, in many countries, uh, as I know, uh, w- what's your perspective on, you know, on the general sen- sentiment from the people living there, how they, you know, embrace digital assets? Are they doing that in their everyday lives already? Or, you know, it's still kind of speculative novelty.
1: Sure. I think it's really country by country. For example, in Mexico, there is a lot of caution as it relates to just anything related to cryptocurrency. If you actually say the word, then it does trigger some of those things that have happened in terms of scams. FTX Mm -hmm. is just one example. Um, Also, NFT seems to uh, resonate very poorly with folks. However, if you're talking about countries that have huge inflation. The whole idea of utilizing an alternative financial system is of necessity. So there's those cases in those countries where you'll continue seeing folks trying to figure out different ways to have a hold within uh, an alternative financial system.
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's it's the same you now all over the world, not not only in, in the down right? I think Turkey is a good example, right? The inflation is really big there and Somehow it correlates with the number of people that are actively using crypto. So probably it is the ultimate, uh, ultimate solution. And of course we believe so, but right. So also I've seen that in one of the recent Forbes articles you mentioned, Christian, that the importance of blockchain solutions is really for remittance. And this, uh, you could actually expand on, you know, what Max started as a topic. So from your perspective as an investor in those startups, what's the general climate around blockchain-led remittance? Yeah, I think in, so from the
2: perspective of someone who lives in America and sort of sends money back to their families in South America or any other country, there's little to sort of There's little alternatives beyond, you know, maybe Western Union and other fintechs that have come up over the years. And obviously, because of the fact that they use archaic financial systems, the price point of sending money is still high, right? A quick example that I like to give is that sending $100, for example, to Ecuador, the fees on that is probably around 5 bucks, right? That might not Mm -hmm. seem material for someone like us. That's probably a cup of coffee, Right but $5 is half days work in Ecuador right so you're paying fees that basically can you know feed someone's family and because of the fact that the only rails that we can and have been using uh, are the only alternatives that we have i think that needs to be revamped so obviously the the use case for remittances is definitely one that's material because the high volume of Capital that gets sent abroad, not only just to Latin America but globally, is high. So if we could bring that cost down, those dollars and cents can go a long way in in, in Latin America.
0: Are there already some major startups doing so? And you know, are there are there are, are they used? There's a company called Felix Pagos.
2: They do a really good job at leveraging um, a communication channel that is very popular in Latin America, which is WhatsApp. So they've done a really great solution where you can transfer money via WhatsApp. And it's something that it's very, very familiar. Everyone in Latin America leverages WhatsApp. So again, something as easy as leveraging a communication channel like WhatsApp, I think is really important and brings easier, lighter solutions to be implemented without having to talk about the technology, blockchain, crypto. Um, you know, Felix Baus is doing a really good job at putting the tech under the hood and leveraging existing channels, habits, and technology to facilitate money transfer.
0: So if I understood correctly, it's, it's blockchain-based, but people don't necessarily care it's blockchain-based. And I, I believe this is like, if it's the way it works, it's probably then end goal for crypto, right? Just so... Yeah. You shouldn't care about the tech. It should just work and, you know, provide security. Correct. And how about, you know, the sentiment across the regulatory bodies? Web3 and crypto, of course, it differs around the world. We know how it's in in the States, at least for now. So does Rayo Capital assist builders with facing the legal framework, you know, Or what's your take on on actually the the compliance regulatory phase of doing blockchain-based business in Latin America?
2: Uh, Yeah, so to answer your question, we do, Rare Capital, we do have partnerships with uh, global law firms where we've been able to provide mentorship and guidance to our portfolio companies. Uh, And actually, it's alleviated and saves money from doing unnecessary legal work So really happy about that. And then in regards to the sentiment or the regulatory environment in Latin America, there's, you know, countries like Brazil and Mexico have sandboxes where it allows entrepreneurs to create, build companies without having to worry, you know, being shut down, being sued, or you know, just having a target on your back for creating value. In general, I think because of the nascent nature of the space in Latin America, there's still not a lot of you know, harsh frameworks in place. And again, those sandboxes that have been, that already exist are are allowing for innovation to flourish, um, are allowing for LATAM to definitely be a leader. And and a lot of more companies are being created because, you know, they're not, you know, unfortunately here in the United States, because of the lack of clarity, there's a lot of companies that, you know, are just afraid to build because you don't want to have a target on your back. You don't want to be shut down
0: etc. Okay. So what do you think, uh, you know, drives the adoption in that region? Of course, we touched upon the, you know, sending money. But if the regulations are not a problem, so is it just a matter of, you know, building block by block and then, you know, the environment is really supporting Web3? Or would you say it's somewhat different or do you see some clear you know, roadblocks before Web3 can really? take off in Latin America that's both to you, Christian and, and Max.
2: Yeah, I think to take a step back in general, technology or entrepreneurship has been evolving and booming in Latin America. And a good example that i like to use is, is the same effect that the PayPal mafia had to the United States, to Silicon Valley, where it minted a lot of millionaires and those millionaires went on to start their own companies. That same thing is happening in Latam. There's a couple of unicorns that have popped up over this past decade, again, across Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, Argentina, and had the similar impact and effect that PayPal had to the U.S. to Silicon Valley. And now we're seeing entrepreneurship flourish. A lot of companies from Latin America have gone on to Silicon Valley, raised capital, built companies. So now that that is becoming a, a little bit more normal And I think in general, entrepreneurship is something that is flourishing in Latin America, whereas before we were more, I would say, users rather than builders. Whereas today, beyond just users, um, more builders are popping up. Uh, Beyond that, there's a lot of technical talent across Brazil and Argentina. And that's obviously due to the fact that most of these companies are software companies or tech enabled companies. Having that talent at home is definitely helpful and and I think that's one of the just main reasons we're seeing adoption companies flourish and unicorns popping up in Latin America.
0: And what would you say to that, Max, would you agree or would you have anything to add? I agree with uh, what Christian has mentioned. I just want to add that within
1: certain countries, uh, just speaking to Mexico specifically, there is still the case where if you really want a big change, you have to know certain people. And so, because of this, I just want to say that connections does matter in some of these countries in Latin America, and as you have more and more uh, successful unicorns though, and as you have more entrepreneurs in the mix that have access to capital in the u s, then that bridging of, that, of of that gap is going to become very important going forward
0: this is actually what I wanted to ask, so you know part of the drivers might be the capital inflows from States or Silicon Valley. So you'd say that on one person level or uh, one company level, it's basically uh, what you are Christian doing, right? You are also as a New Yorker investing in in Latin American startups. So is it uh, a thing? Is it a trend that you know uh, also people from the United States notice the potential there, and you know they keep coming south.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, sort of the new generation of money managers or just in general management across corporates, they're younger, they're more global, they're more traveled. And I think that helps the region as a whole. And then, I mean, in the, an individual sort of um, example would be me, right? I worked in investment banking for a decade. I cover Latin America as a region. My family comes from Latin America. And for me, it was sort of a natural progression. Now that I'm independent, building out their capital to sort of bridge that gap between the United States and LATAM. You know, here in the U.S., we have a lot of resources. Here in the U.S., there's leadership and there's obviously a lot of capital. And unfortunately, because of maybe not knowing or understanding how to do business in a different region or part of the world, business or just capital doesn't flow. Right, and I think we that is definitely changing, and we're seeing more entrepreneurship and private capital flowing to the region. And obviously, with that, we have entrepreneurship ecosystems flourishing. And with that, obviously, this new frontier tech like Web three is getting adopted.
0: Are there any specific industries that are really on top of you know Web three adoption? I mean beyond Web3, so I don't know, some supply chain or something around that, all the traditional companies, are they also embracing blockchain there maybe more than in the rest of the world?
2: The many use cases yeah. that I've seen besides what we just spoke about have been also trying to fractionalize real estate, mm-hmm. fractionalize agriculture or farmlands. We're seeing a lot of platforms being built for renewable energy or, uh, carbon offsets. So I would say that those are the ones that we're seeing a lot, obviously a lot of gaming or gamified versions of what I just said have come up, but I would say those would be the major ones that I see often.
0: Yeah. And so real world assets and tokenizing them still seems to be quite interesting and important for, you know, the whole blockchain space, but also it makes sense in this specific region. And I know you also have a startup Max you invested in, can you tell us more about it? Because I also know that it's focused on Latin America.
1: Sure. More recently I've been deeply involved with what is called D box So DBlox is a ticketing platform with Web3 in the background. So kind of the idea behind it is that we want to create a UI UX that is very similar to what folks are used to take, for example, Eventbrite and such. And so, what we're doing there is we're, um, you know, we're u- utilizing blockchain to be able to fight against what are counterfeit tickets, and at the same time, to give all event stakeholders access to the secondary markets, thus creating a new economic opportunity for whoever is an event stakeholder.
0: And I, I know you're building this on Polygon right now, but you also have plans, to, you know, try to build it on, you know, also other networks such as RF0, right? Sure. So
1: right now we are building this on Polygon and um, just to talk a little bit about adoption. One area that I have been seeing over these last few years of working for many different infrastructure projects is that you know when you go in, you connect a wallet and you do this whole entire process of doing these really Web3 native things, most folks are not going to do that, or at least the idea is that it's not that user friendly to go in and connect all these things. So right now we're building on polygon because there's a lot of UIUX tools that are be really built out within that
0: ecosystem. Cool. Uh, yeah that, that sounds also really awesome. And I had this thought that some blockchains got really popular in specific regions and as a you know the base layer, is there is there something that originated from from the, the space there and you you seem to be you know at least aware of it or uh, I think you, you are building on Polygon and, you know, you, you have the idea to also build it on other 0 but is there any other platform that seems to be popular there or just, you know, the standard ones? Sure. So are you asking whether from an infrastructure standpoint, how have different, yeah, different how, blockchains how they, been adopted? Basically like that. But for example, there's this case of those more like European-based blockchains, like, I don't know, IOTA or Lisk back in the day. And they were really popular, for example, in Germany, because this is where they came from. So I know if there's a similar thing there. So I think in terms of adoption of uh, base layers, it really just depends on the use case. For
1: example, within the the financial industry, perhaps need faster transactions. So something like ALO Zero would make sense in this case. Also for remittances, you definitely want that to be as low cost as possible. As you move into something like the supply chain management area, once again, perhaps transactions are something to consider. So uh, one would need to look at that aspect, but beyond transaction speeds, I do think that the usability of these blockchains is very important. So take, for example, Ethereum, there's a lot of great uh, UI UX tools that exists and also a lot of help for developers that want to build on top of it. And so chains such as Polygon that have a lot of resemblance to Ethereum would be ideal from, you know, a usability standpoint. As you move on to uh, newer chains, it will definitely be interesting as you see more UI UX features be built out for these newer chains in terms of, you know, that being able to be adopted within uh, some of these use cases that
0: we're talking about. Yeah, it makes sense. I also have one for you, Christian. You're working a lot with with founders and probably a lot of first time founders. so. Uh, What's the usual, you know, challenges they are facing? Uh, What support do you provide them or what support is needed? For example, is it the access to talent? Uh, Of course, you mentioned that there's great uh, talent in Brazil and Argentina, but, you know, I don't know how big the pool is there or how's the the access to capital. So, you know, if you could uh, expand on that, like what's the, the environment specifically for builders there?
2: Yeah, of course. So for us, we have four pillars that we focus on, which are, you know, legal structuring, tokenomics, go-to-market and fundraising resources. In Latin America, there's great entrepreneurs. I would say they do a lot with a little and are just great builders. The thing that they just like is, you know, accessibility to, you know, networks of capital, I would say would be a good one. Access to, you know, top tier advisory sort of um shops due to the fact that region hasn't been covered by the big players in web3 Mm -hmm. bridging that gap and providing those resources and those connections is definitely a key component and you know so very privileged and sort of lucky to have that network you know i was before launching player capital i was over at op crypto where I was able to grow my network of early stage Web3 investors globally. Beyond that, engage with exchanges across the world, engage with market makers, engage with the ecosystem. And now that I've been able to sort of build those relationships with Rayo capital, I want to bridge that gap to provide resources to those companies that we identify as individuals and founders that are building great companies, leveraging the blockchain technology. And if we could provide those resources to help accelerate them, help them grow, help them go to market beyond just LATAM, and that's what we want to do. So I, I would say in general, bridging the gap, providing and being a signal for LATAM, right? Something that I always say, Latin America doesn't have those key indicators that venture capital uses to identify great founders. General examples would be, you know, Stanford's, the Harvard's of the world, the Goldman Sachs, the Mm -hmm. Carlisle's of the world, right? So because of not having that, there needs to be another signal. And that's what we hope to become, right? That signal to Latin America. Once we identify great finders, put them in front of, you know, the right teams, the right people sort of help them get to the next level.
0: All right. And uh, looking at the current trajectory, where do you think the market's heading? What would you say that would be, you know, some big trends or what developments are you looking forward to in Latin America?
2: The main reasons I'm bullish about Latin America, it's, you know, it's a young generation. You know, it's a large user base. They're early adopters into technology. You know, because of all the hardships sometimes that they come across, not all countries, but I would say some or most, they're not afraid to just engage with technology. And also the informal economy, I think it's a big opportunity to create solutions to bring that value on-chain and sort of grow the ecosystem, grow the market.
1: Also, generally speaking, in terms of trends, it's as we see just different ways to be able to earn that are Mm -hmm. interesting. I think as Christian mentioned, like $5 means a lot to folks that live in Latin America. Just to give an example, not that this is my favorite, for example, play to earn type of games where you can earn anywhere between like $100 to $500 extra a month. That's actually a huge impact to a family that lives in Latin America. So as you have these different types of models that just come out, it's just going to be interesting to see it be adopted. Now, on the other hand, in terms of some of the the main factors that I'm definitely seeing in Latin America, so there's just a lot of internet and smartphone penetration that's pretty deep there. Also, in terms of the population, you do have a lot of young folks. And as mentioned before, you know, the example of inflation, there is a need for financial alternatives and, you know, blockchain can create some really interesting models and there's also a growing interest in, in cryptocurrencies, more generally.
0: Yeah, so I think those are the, the catalysts we are also looking in the broader space, but definitely this is something specific to the region that you know, looks really uh, well in positioning them to embrace blockchain because it brings so much benefits. What advice can you give builders wanting to make web-free projects in Latin America? The advice I would give builders is
1: just to have an open mind, is to see problems and understand what type of benefits that blockchain technology can provide. In addition, there's just a lot of educational tools out there, and these educational tools can be found online. Also, I truly believe that networking is very important. Uh, Networking is key to being able to build out your network and continue learning. Uh
2: Advice, I would say, think global. What I realized from the set of samples that I've come across is that builders in LATAM build for LATAM. And I think sometimes the global perspective is not there. Some of them, and obviously there's a lot of great companies that are building to be global, but I would say specifically in Web3, I would say the new generation of builders are coming up that are not sort of repeat founders uh, do tend to just stay local or soft. Local problems, and it's something that we say as part of our accelerator program as well. You know, think global. Your user base shouldn't be just what the Web three community, or Web users. And that's something that we are seeing a lot of, where builders in Latin America build for the ninety percent, whereas something that I always like to say is that advanced economies or companies building in Web three they build for the one percent, or they build for the Web three community, and I think that's an advantage that Latin America has, right? They're putting the tech under the hood and building for the masses. And, and that's something that I continue to just say, hey, build for the world, build, be global. And I think we continue to sort of share those concepts. Uh, I'm very hopeful for Latin America to definitely be a, a premier um, region with amazing founders.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great advice. All right. So thank you, Max and Christian, for giving us an overview of web-free activities in, in Latin America. And we'll be, of course, observing how does the region develop, especially in this direction. And yeah, I hope we can you know, have you back on another episode in the near future. So I encourage any of you listeners to like, subscribe, leave your reviews. Uh, and if you have questions, you can also just ask them under all the communications regarding this episode. And yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode of the AliveZero podcast. So see you then. Bye-bye.